Is um, but looking at the wiles of the devil, he came to Jesus Christ. It's unlikely we will ever meet him and have a direct encounter with him. But he has many cohorts who uh, do his bidding. But someone like Luther would have encountered him uh, directly. We can be pretty confident uh, of that. And Luther, to write words like this, um, and were the, the, this world all devils o'er and watching to devour us. But God, God keeps his people and uh, we utter his word. And that's the, the, the great lesson from this passage. Jesus could have used his supernatural powers that were him, his. But he, he chooses to use what we can use. And that is the very word of the living God. Well, last time we gave an outline of this particular passage and just considered verses 1 and 2 and thought about the contrasts and the confrontation and the constant. The contrasts between the baptism of Christ and the words, you are my son, and then the experience in the, the desert and being tempted by the devil. The, the confrontation uh, between Christ and uh, the fiend of, of hell. But the one great constant, God the Holy Spirit, uh, God uh, there with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we'll make some progress and begin to look at the temptations themselves. And we're told that uh, he's 40 days in the desert. Jesus is by himself. Uh, the wild animals are, are there. It's a barren and a desolate place. And he is... He's fasting, means he's, uh, he's without food. He's without other things also. Uh, for us, fasting could include uh, not going on Facebook and Instagram. Could you manage, I mean, maybe you can manage a day without food, but can you imagine a day without Facebook or Instagram or the use of the internet? I don't know which you find the more difficult. Uh, but fasting is about denying ourselves uh, physical pleasures that we might focus on, the one true reality that physical things can mitigate against. Uh, the world shouting at us constantly, what is a fast? It's not just to go without food, it certainly includes that, but to deny ourselves bodily pleasures that we'd focus on spiritual realities. And Jesus is 40 days. So if he began today... On the 21st of March, he would conclude his fast the day after my 64th birthday. I've been looking forward to being, well, not looking forward. I thought about being 64, and the Beatles song, of course, keeps on coming back. Well, it's on the horizon now. But the day after I'm 64, Jesus would finish his fast on the 30th of April. That's a long, long time. You might imagine and, and think and wonder, what was he doing uh, during that time? But it wasn't just that he was going without food, but he was focusing, as we've been saying, on spiritual realities. There's a very powerful passage in Hebrews chapter 5 that tells us about the Lord Jesus and his prayer life. Now, if I'm a Christian, Jesus is my example. He's an example to me. If ever a man lived, here he is, the man Christ Jesus there are some things he did that are unique. His atonement on Calvary is utterly unique. But what he did do and how he did live, 
There is a pattern for me to follow. So how's my prayer life and how's your prayer life? Let the word of God challenge us. And here is Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. And in his days on planet Earth, he knew what it was to pray. And in the desert, 40 days, he wasn't just going without food. Uh, He was much in prayer. Listen to these words, Hebrews 5 and verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries. Now, you probably prayed this morning. That is an occasion for loud cries. Now, this would be something audible. Something, it's good to pray in your mind, but at times it's good to pray out loud and to help us in our focus. Um, maybe if you're at home alone, you've got the chance to do that. If you're walking out and it's a quiet place, you can speak out loud to the Lord. Loud cries and tears. When were you and I last emotional about God and eternity and the battle and temptations. But he, he cried out loud, tears, and he's doing this to him. He's praying to his father who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And boy, how he suffered. It's not just Calvary. Calvary is the culmination. But those 33 years were years of suffering And these 40 days in the desert were times of suffering and putting up with his disciples. How long shall I be with you? Were times of suffering. And Gethsemane was a time of of suffering. And being made perfect. You see, he was tempted. He suffered in those temptations. But he didn't fall. And so through that, he's made perfect in order to save us. His life is as important as his death. Without his life, I'm left naked. My sins could be paid for, but I don't have a righteousness. No, the life he lived is essential. To know God, I need a righteousness. And you and I know we haven't got one. And even living as Christians for however long we've been Christians, we fail and we fail and we fail still. But Jesus never failed. And when he was tempted, we're going to see. He was victorious. The devil has to leave him and wait for more opportune time. And he comes back at Caesarea Philippi and speaks through the, even the Apostle Peter. Ho, ho, this isn't going to happen to you. Get behind me, Satan. I see where this is coming from. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. The devil trying to deflect him through a close companion in Gethsemane. And the temptations and the cross of Calvary. Ha! He saved others. He can't save himself. Come down from the cross and then we'll believe you. Perform as a miracle, then we'll believe. No, he stays there. Doesn't give in to that temptation. Jesus became perfect through his suffering and so became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So here he is, fasting for those 40 days, crying out to his heavenly Father, denying physical appetites, but strengthening his soul 
for the battle. Here he is, the very outset of his earthly ministry. And he's at this point, at his weakest point physically, and yet his strongest point spiritually, in his human soul, strengthened in this time of fasting and prayer and crying out to God. It's at this point, the weakest point physically, the devil himself comes and speaks to him. And the words are chilling. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. If you are the son of God. He repeats that uh, insinuation. He's sowing seeds. There's the devil. God sows seeds. The devil is an expert gardener. He's sowing weed seeds and thorn seeds. And thistle seeds. He's got his packets ready for your hearts. Of course he has. Don't be so naive. He comes to Jesus Christ with a seed of doubt. And here it is again in verse 9. If you are the Son of God. If. If you are. If. If. Doubts. Doubts. Compare that to chapter 3 and verse 22. Where the Father speaks from heaven to Jesus You are my beloved son. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And the devil, if, if you are the son of God. Doubts, looking to sow doubts. Even in the mind of the son of God. The devil can stoop so very fiendishly low. If you are the son of God. Remember who Jesus is now. Is it possible? Is it possible the devil could possibly tempt in this area? He is, Jesus is one person and yet two natures. He's a man just like you and me. Physical body, a real human soul, a real human nature. But in union with his human nature is divine Nature. He's fully God, the Son from all eternity, united to humanity in this one person. Jesus Christ is not two persons. He's not a human person. He never becomes a human person. He's the person, the Son of God, who takes humanity. He has a human nature like yours and mine, but he's one person. If he became a human person, he'd be two persons. He's not. He's one person. We must get this right. With two natures. I was reading just this morning. My mind was drawn at this point in just thinking over these words. I was taken to Colossians chapter 1. Here's the one who the devil approached. Colossians 1 and verse 15, speaking of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, 
that in everything he might have the preeminence. For in him, listen to this now, in Jesus, in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Colossians 2 and verse 9. For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And why did he come? I've had quite a few questions this week from children. They come on WhatsApp and uh, I get little video clips and uh, a question yesterday as, as, as well uh, from uh, a youngster in our, in our garden. And uh, here's one question that came uh, yesterday. What, what did Jesus do to the devil? What did Jesus do to the devil? Well, my little friend, he disarmed the devil. He took his weapons off him. He took away his armour. He plundered his house. He took away his goods. He rescued your soul. And that comes here in Colossians 1.15. He disarmed the rulers of authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Jesus. But the devil comes to him. Can I get him right at the start? If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, uh, doubts, doubts. He came to Adam and Eve with the same ploy. Did God really say? Did God really say, you must not eat from any of the trees in the garden? And he'll come to you and I. Here's his most basic ploy. He wants to shed doubt. So he's got his seeds and uh, he opens the packets and he doesn't just come in springtime. I think winter's a particularly time for him to be active. It's so dark and dreary. And he opens the seed and uh, ooh, call yourself a Christian. You, you behave like that and you caught, if, uh, well, if, if the pastor knew what you were, you, oh. but God knows, doesn't he? You call yourself, you call yourself, how can you be a Christian and do that? Oh, it's the same ploy. He, he can't, he doesn't, he doesn't, in a sense, he doesn't need to change his tactics. That He's so successful with them. So he can never take away your salvation, but he can put you out of action. He can put you on the sidelines. He can make you ineffective. You're going to land up in glory, but he can make you ineffective while you're here. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. I want you to notice this though, before we get on to Christ's answer about making the stones become bread. Let's note this particular point. Jesus ignores the if. Jesus doesn't address the if of the devil. He doesn't entertain the thought that he's not the son of God. It's not even worthy of a reply from him. Notice that in this passage, he doesn't address that issue. He knows he is the son of of God, there is. He will not entertain a doubt. He'll not even answer the question. He leaves that insinuation well alone. Let me use now, excuse a cricketing illustration. A batsman's got to be very wary. Uh, there are fast bowlers who come in. There's a pace there. You've got to have quick 
reactions. The ones you've got to really watch out for are these wily, slow spin bowlers, and they are very wily. And you must be very careful with the spin bowlers. In England, they've been in India, and the, the Indians are the masters of spin, particularly on their own pitches. Now, some of the slow spinning balls that come towards a batsman, he does well to leave well alone. Don't entertain any thought. It's drilled into him. He's wide of the stump and it's going high over the stumps. Bound, leave it. Leave it alone. Don't even touch the ball. Take your bat away. And the bowler might say, call yourself a top batsman. You're leaving all the... Have a go at this one. Have a go at this one. And the batsman should say, well, no, I am such a good batsman. That's why I'm going to leave it well alone. I leave it well alone. And Jesus comes, sorry, the devil comes to you and I. Call yourself a Christian? Actually, no, I, I don't. Here's the wonderful thing. He calls me a Christian. <laughs> it's Jesus that owns me. Therefore, I can own him. That's the first thing. And because I am a Christian, I am in Christ it's not my record that counts, not my record that counts. And uh, my salvation isn't based on what I do. What I do should declare I am. But my ground of confidence isn't in what I do. It's grace alone. And I'm justified. It's a legal, it's a settled matter by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not only did he die for me, but he lived for me. And his perfect life covers me. And I have that righteousness that the law demands. And so I can approach God and I will get to heaven. But it's dressed in beauty, not my own. I'm justified by faith. And listen now, God has said it. That settles it. That settles it. There's this little triplet of, of sayings. It's worth remembering them. Uh, from the word of God, God has said it. I believe it. That settles it. But then one man said the middle bit's not necessary whether I believe it or not is irrelevant God has said it that settles it and God has said wonderful wonderful things in the gospel and it's important that we know the gospel John three sixteen. do you know this verse for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life how about this one God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How about this one, 1 Peter 3, 18. Christ died for sin, the just on behalf of the unjust, to bring you to God. Call yourself a Christian? He calls me a Christian. That's the glory of it all. And I stand in Christ alone. And when Satan tempts me to despair, and tells me of the guilt within. He'll do it. Got his seeds. What do I do? Don't even entertain the thoughts. Upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. I look to Christ. He's the answer. When peace like a river, that him, my sin, all the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in parts, not just the past sin, it's my present sin, it's my future sin. My sin, not in part, but the whole was nailed to his cross. 
and I bear it no more. What a relief. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. God has said it. I believe it. That settles it. Let's look again at this. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God. Now, it's a valid translation to put here this. Since you are the son of God, make this stone become bread. Since you are, come on, let's have a demonstration. Make this stone. I meant to bring a stone with me. I haven't got, you know, what a stone is. Make it become bread. Could Jesus do that? Of course. Of course. He's almighty God. And the temptation now, his humanity is suffering 40 days and no food. Make this, since you are, come on, come on, help yourself out here. Use your divine power to create bread in this situation and eat and nourish your body. The temptation is strong because he's at his weakest. Have you ever been as hungry as Jesus Christ will be hungry now? Since you are, make this storm become bread. You can do it. What would be wrong with that? Sustain yourself using your divine powers. Obviously, he can do that. He could have done that. But here's the point. I cannot do that. Have you tried making a stone become bread? Have you tried to go? Have you had a go at that? Was it successful? Try going home and making a stone become a piece of bread, children. You're not going to be able to, to do that. Jesus could have done it, but he'd be bypassing the suffering. He'd be doing something that I cannot do. And Jesus there in the wilderness, he's standing there representing you and me. Adam and Eve failed under the temptation of the devil. But here comes the last Adam into the fight. And he's going to beat him hands up. Help yourself now. Go on. Do it. Now this is very difficult now because the spin bowler has put a ball right on the wickets. The batsman cannot leave this ball alone. It's on target. The batsman doesn't know what it's going to do. When it pitches, is it going to be a ball that goes off to the left? Will it spin to the right? Will it go straight on? Will it bounce high? Will it stay low? Now, the batsman's got one of two things to do. He either goes back into his crease, if it's pitching a way out, and he watches and trusts his reactions. Or he goes forwards, if he's got the chance, and gets right to the point where the ball is pitching, so he's got no chance either to go up, down, left or right, or straight on. He gets the bat right to it and smothers any possible deviation. But I tell you this, the very best of batsmen will eventually fall. No batsman has ever been not out throughout his career. It might happen in an innings, but eventually the spin bowler is going to get him. But here's the wonderful truth about Jesus Christ, and you read it throughout the Gospels and time and time again. 
The devil leaves for a more opportune time. He comes back, but time and time again, Jesus actually declared his innings at the age of 33. He gave up the spirit and died and never succumbed to any temptation. He knew temptation, but he never yielded to temptation. Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Each victory will help you. Some other to win. Fight manfully onward. Dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus. He will carry you through. Jesus did not use his innate power as the Son of God to help himself to escape from that awful time of suffering. He could have escaped, but if he had done, the devil's won. But he doesn't escape here. He goes through the suffering and he trusts in his Father. He goes through the suffering the next three years, including Gethsemane and Calvary. He's trusting his heavenly Father. He doesn't use his innate power as a son of God, but he uses what you and I can use. He uses the Bible and he trusts in his Father's providence. He uses what we can and we must use. Jesus answered him, it is written. And here we get part of his answer, man shall not live by bread alone. In Matthew's gospel, he's inspired by the Spirit to quote the whole. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the living God. And that's Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. And Jesus learned that verse. He had to learn that verse. Jesus gave that verse to Moses, but when he comes to planet Earth, he has to learn that verse. And he learns it in the synagogue and from his mum and from his dad's. He learns the verse, and he learns the verse, and he comes at the devil with a verse. So he's watching the devil, and the ball comes across, and he hits it in the centre of the bats, concentrating, concentrating. He quotes scripture. Listen now, it's very simple what he does. And that's the wonder. I couldn't make a stone become bread, neither can you. But I can quote the Bible. Can you? Jesus quoted the Bible. We, we can do that. It's not a very big book. When I did chemistry in Cardiff University, there was the chemistry library packed with books. And in three years, I was meant to know most of what was in those books. Ridiculous. And uh, at the end of the, the course, you get exams and uh, you could pass with 40%. So you can be more wrong than you were right. They'd let you pass as a chemist. Why do we fail so much as Christians. We don't know the book. We have the Holy Spirit within us to help us, to teach us. It's only one book. So I need to, to read it. And Jesus does something very simple. He quotes Deuteronomy 8.3 and he quotes it clearly and he quotes it accurately. This is where Eve fell down in the Garden of Eden. She misquoted the Bible and she had no excuse because there wasn't much there was Genesis 2.15. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but of the one tree in the centre, the knowledge of, the good, of good and evil, you must not eat, lest you will die. Did God really say you're not to eat from any tree in the garden? God did say we must not eat from the tree in the centre of the garden, nor must we touch it, or we will die. God never mentioned touching. 
she added something to the little bit of scripture that there was. The devil saw a chink. Oh, you will not surely die. God knows. God knows. No time to make progress on that. But I must do what Jesus did and quote the Bible accurately. So the only piece of offensive armor I have is the sword of the spirits. Um, Ephesians 6, 17. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So Satan comes at me with accusations and insinuations. So in times of need, as Jesus had here, am I able to trust God in his providence? Because the devil will say, God has abandoned you, hasn't he? Look, you've got nothing left, and even your friends aren't interested. God doesn't love you after all, does he? God has abandoned you. Never forget the Bible. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God doesn't love you. Loved with an everlasting love. The foreknowledge, the forelove of God. So God has abandoned you. He doesn't love you. Therefore, you better start helping yourself. You better fiddle your expenses and your tax return. Sell that dodgy item on eBay. I know it doesn't work, but who's going to know until they've got it and you've got the money and they won't go through all that faff. Don't bother taxing your car. Just lie a bit on the insurance. Say you do 6,000, not the 50,000. Say it's a lot cheaper if you only do 6,000 miles a year, you know. Did you know that? Maybe you didn't know that. But you've got to tell the truth. You've got to tell the truth. Take, take that compromising job that's going to put you in compromising situations that you didn't need to take. Volunteer to work on Sunday when you didn't need to volunteer. Now, many have to work on Sunday. Let me make that clear. You've got to have a job. So some jobs entail you working on Sunday. If they say, though, would you like to volunteer? It's triple pay. Keep your money. I'll worship the living God. I'll keep this day special for him. The devil says, well, look, you deserve a treat. You can't afford this loan. But take the loan you can't afford to have the things you don't need. He'd love to get you in that position and that situation. So in answering him, answering my own heart, I need to know the Bible well. So Colossians 3.16, let the word of God dwell in you richly. So I read it, read it. I haven't got time, you might say. I've got time for lots of other things. So use my phone instead of um, Facebook and Instagram and whatever grams, Twitter. So many things on, on there. Just the, the Bible app. Read, read a little time to read and to contemplate Know the Bible well, know Jesus well. See that the point is to know Christ. And then use the Bible well as the accusations come. God loves us with an everlasting love. He is our great provider. Remember the times he's helped you in the past. You can raise an Ebenezer. Thus far the Lord has helped us. You know, we, we, we think back quite often, and times that were, were difficult, and, and we're still here. Here we are, 41 years coming over marriage and, and, and not out. We're still, we're still here. God has kept us. Difficult times, times of plenty, times of little. Paul knows the same thing. I've known what it is to be in want, 
Did he lack faith? Not at all. I know it is to abound. Uh, God will supply all my needs, says Paul, according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Think of people in the Bible. Think of Elijah. The famine comes. Three and a half years and no rain. Famine, lack of food. God keeps him. Go to the brook Cherith and ravens come. I don't know if I'd be too happy. Well, it's food, isn't it? I don't know what the ravens are going to bring. Here's a bit of rat I found, Elijah. He nourishes him. It's not the luxuries. I don't think the ravens were bringing KFC or McDonald's. They were bringing rat and uh, other birds that they'd found. Rabbits. Rabbits, not so bad. Then the brook dried up. Go to this widow who's desolate. She's got nothing. She's about to curl up her toes and die. And ask her for a piece of bread. Ha, piece of bread, I've got nothing. I'm about to make the last cake and I'm going to die with my son. Just do as I ask. And the oil never ran out and the flour never ran out. And uh, God provided. And God's providing for you because you're still here. And God will provide for you until it's time to call you to glory. Man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Here ends the first temptation, and Jesus is not out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a brief time in your word. We thank you that uh, Jesus Christ, the final Adam, the last Adam, successfully fought off all the wiles of the devil, And in him we are safe. A safe stronghold our God is still. Away with his insinuations. Thank you that we have the gospel. And we thank you that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Help us to know your word and to use it well to your glory. Amen.